0: Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 257 of the podcast. My name is Kerry Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Well, we've had some incredible episodes lately, and I just want to say thank you for sharing. Man, I heard from so many of you who were sharing a couple of recent episodes come to mind. The one with Kevin Queen a few weeks ago, and then Katie Cole. You guys blew up the internet. I mean, thank you for sharing on social. Thank you for emailing your team. Uh, Thanks for posting about it, and thanks for just spreading the love. I mean, it's incredible what you do. I'm so grateful for you. I just got back, actually, as I'm recording this from the United Kingdom. I was in England for the very first time and had a great time working with, I don't know, how many were there, four or 500 of uh, really all the leading churches in England and in Europe were there in the room. It's an incredible gathering called the European Learning Community. And uh, man, I just I just met hundreds of you who are podcast listeners, uh, was able to have dinner with a bunch of you and uh, just connect. Uh, it was a lot of fun being able to speak there and to see what God is doing in the church in Europe. So I know there are many of you internationally who listen. And uh, just thanks for getting the word out there. Really, really um, grateful for you guys. Listen, if you haven't subscribed yet to this podcast, it's free. And that way you never miss an episode. But I want to tell you about something else today that I, I just frankly never talk about. So uh, podcast is, is doing well. We're pushing, I think we'll hit 8 million downloads by the time you listen to this, which is incredible. Um, but actually what's strange and what a lot of people don't know is uh, more people actually access my written content than even this podcast. Yeah, I write a blog. And I also send out emails uh, multiple times a week with some content, things I'm thinking about, latest insights, and also this podcast. So when an episode goes live, you hear about it in your inbox. It lets you know whether you want to listen in or not. Um, Join over 40,000 leaders who get that email by simply going to leadlikeneverbefore.com. And when you show up there, you will see a little dialogue box that says, hey, you want to join the newsletter or whatever whatever it says. I I should actually know, shouldn't I? Yes, I should. Uh, But anyway, (laughs) head on over there, put in your email, And then uh, we'll stay in touch even more. And so uh, I would love for you to do that if you haven't done that. And you know, one of the problems that a lot of leaders are trying to solve these days is staffing. Uh, We don't know where the economy is going, but right now we're in pretty much a full employment economy in North America. That is, everybody who wants to work has a job, and it can get harder and harder to get great people. In fact, that's one of the questions I get over and over again when I was in England. Uh, I had a number of meals with leaders and they're like, man, let's talk about young leaders. Well, I want to tell you a source where I've gotten numerous members for my team that I am really, really impressed with. And that is Belay. Belay is a virtual staffing company, entirely virtual company, which is great. Whether you have a physical presence or you're virtual, uh, my company is virtual, uh, they can help you. And uh, I, was, I was having numerous conversations last week with leaders who were like, we're trying to figure this out. Like people don't want to show up in an office anymore and uh, they want to work at a coffee shops and remotely and everything. And here's what I'm convinced of, that sometimes you get a more productive virtual team than you do an in-person team. That's been my experience. And Belay has helped me staff my company as this podcast, blog, writing, book, speaking have grown. I've turned to Belay again and again and again. And here's, here's what I love about Belay. Because the real hassle in hiring people is you got to wade through 100, 200, 300 profiles, resumes to get to that one person that you hopefully maybe possibly want. That's a lot of time. That's a lot of energy. Well, Belay does all of that for you. Um, In fact something like 96 or 98% of the people who apply to be with Belay don't make the cut. And so when you engage Belay, they give you the top 2% of all candidates and they come up and they recommend someone that will be a great fit with your organization. And they're good at it. And so I've had a number of team members who have come from Belay, absolutely love their services, and it's done for you. So if you're looking for staff members, and you know the other reason that I think it's so good is so many leaders struggle with delegation and you're like, well, I don't really want to bring someone on, you know, whole time. Well, you can start at 10 hours a week. And I'll tell you, they're, they're incredible. So what I'd love for you to do if you're looking to grow your team or just become more efficient as a leader is head on over to this site, go to belaysolutions.com forward slash carry, C-A-R-E-Y. You'll see a little welcome video I did and everything like that. And you'll see why I turned to Belay and why thousands of leaders like Michael Hyatt, Damon Johns, so many others have turned to Belay for help. So if you need a staffing solution, they're my choice. Go to BelaySolutions.com forward slash carry today and learn how you can get started right away with top quality candidates pretty much overnight. Anyway. Hey, uh, today, I am so excited to have Tyler Reagan on the podcast. He is the president of Catalyst. So many of you know Catalyst. They are a leadership development organization in the church and business space. They serve over 100,000 leaders from around the world who connect with them every year. They've got a great podcast and, and so many more. And Tyler and I know each other from way back at North Point. And we talk about, well, what it's like to lead when you're not a detail person and so many other things. So here is my conversation with Catalyst President Tyler Reagan.
1: Tyler, welcome to
0: the podcast. It's good to have you, man.
1: Hey, Kerry. Good to see you. It's been a long time coming. I know. We've been talking about it. Sorry I had to reschedule that one time.
0: Wow. That's all right. That's all right. Uh, You know, it's it's absolutely worth the wait. So you've led Catalyst for how many years now? Uh, Let's see. I I took over for Brad.
1: uh, So it's been about five and a half years.
0: Yeah. Wow. Time flies, man. I know. Um, so you you are part of a premier leadership organization, and you are the point leader now. <laughs> what what are you learning about leadership in this sort of rocket ride you've been on over the last five years?
1: Wow. Uh, you know the crazy thing. You think about five years, and you go, "What am I learning now? What have I learned in the journey?" Mm. Um, there the, there's a there's so many layers to that. Um, you know, we were talking even before we started recording, uh, one of the big things that I've been studying and thinking about writing down and journaling is what have I learned while waiting? Cause there's some things that in leadership, when you're waiting on the Lord, you're waiting on certain things to happen. Uh, but one of the things I learned while wait, I, I feel like I've learned while waiting is that nothing instant is great. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, uh, I think I always feel like when you're praying for something for a long time, there's going to be an instant payoff somewhere. And what I've learned is I don't want the instant payoff because it's not as good as the, the, the good payoff, like the, the real thing, you know what I mean? But we live in an instant society. And so I want relief, even if that's not as good as what it could be. I want, you know, let's say you're praying through something that's very painful or very hard. I just want relief or you just want relief. Mm. Yeah. And we want that instant wait to be over, even if we're willing to give it up. I, I was, my wife and I were talking our house has been on the market for three days, we got, we've got. we had 15 showings, we had our first offer, and what you find is these people came in, of course they're going to negotiate the price down, they're trying, yeah. but it's been on the market three days. And so you go, am I willing to wait for the right mm. thing, the right value? So that's that's one of the things that's been um, stirring in me a little bit is just this understanding of it just doesn't ever If it finishes the best it can, it usually very rarely finishes quickly. It's one of those things that half the time you're waiting on something, you look back and you pay attention, you go, oh, half of it's already here. I didn't even see it. God's already done this for me. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, yeah. So you're learning to wait. So one example, your your house is for sale. So you're going to wait on that. What are some examples (laughs) from
1: leadership where you're like, we're just waiting yeah, I think there's. Uh, I've, I've said this for the last few years at Catalyst. I feel like we're pouring um, new wine into old wineskins. And so mm-hmm. we've got these these models, you know, for 20 years. This is our 20 year anniversary. So we've for for 17 of these years we've been at the Gwinnett Arena or the Infinite Energy Arena. Well, that's what most people know Catalyst as. 11 years at yeah. at Mariners Church at West Coast, right? W- what if that's not the model for the next 20 years? What, what if that wineskin of the big event at the arena, now it very well could be, Carrie, and I'm great mm. with it if it is, but but I feel like for three years it's been, Lord, just help us see, help us figure out what are the new wineskins for Gen Z. I don't know that Gen Z wants to do that. Well, if they do, fantastic. But but we can't just keep doing what we, uh, we always do. Uh, what Was it Craig that says you can't? It's called crazy when you keep doing what you always do, have, have done, and and hope for a different result. And, and so that's that's something I've learned in this waiting piece. I think the other big piece for me, Carrie, it, it just has been more of a continued confirmation that no matter what, if you choose to bring life to people, if you choose to care for people, you'll always have a team uh, around you. And mm-hmm. um, I, no matter what's going on in your world, no matter how good you are at content, how good you are at preaching, how good you are at uh executive pastoring how good you are as ceo in terms of the technical parts of that job if you don't figure out or know how to love people well that's that's really to me what emotional intelligence is all about is i have to know how to be emotionally intelligent to take care of these people and that was you know first time data came around saying the best leaders in the world love people best they lead Mm -hmm. people best and so i i've just if I've ever doubted that emotional intelligence matters this last season, I feel like I've walked through has given me such confirmation to go even double down on emotional intelligent leadership.
0: Yeah, I agree. You know, the, the more I lead, the more I do, the more I come to the conclusion that it's not what you do, it's who you do it with. Yeah. And, and to some extent, how you do it when you're with them. So it's the right. team, it's the people, it's the culture, it's character. Because uh, at the end of the day, you know the top is empty. You get there yeah. and you realize, oh, well, this is it. Okay. So <laughs> well, where is everybody? <laughs> where is where is you know? And you've stepped all over people to get there. It's not a whole lot of fun, right? Yeah. So yeah, when you're going, totally. Hey,
1: I needed somebody else to carry that with me. Wait a second. You know <laughs> yeah. where'd they go?
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. Now you deal with literally you talk to thousands of young leaders uh, every year. Uh, at events and just in the work that you do, what would you say some of the top issues are that uh, young leaders are struggling with today?
1: Yeah, I just um, was with Southeastern. I see, I see your good-looking Southeastern sweatshirt there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, if you this look was really a video good
0: podcast, that. you would see my Southeastern <laughs> swag on today. That's right. But um, thank you, Justin Lathrop.
1: I was just with a bunch of you know students there, and um, I heard Tim Elmore a few weeks ago. Our friend Tim Elmore talk about how generations tend to go from cautious to confident, from cautious to confident. He talked about how the boomers came out of the busters, you know, who who uh, were very cautious because of the depression and war, uh, World War II. And then it went to the boomers who were the other side of that. Like there's ca- yeah. confidence. Let's go. Like we're taking, then our generation, my generation, the, the Gen X, like we were more cautious. We were a little bit like, because it was more it's actually uncertain. true, you know? Yep. And then the next generation, the millennials, pretty confident generation, you know, (laughs) now you're looking at Gen Z who aren't. And a lot of people refer to Gen Z as Homelander generation because Mm. 2001 to 2019, 2001 is when Homeland Security started. And so it's defined by uncertainty and, and, uh, disconnected and fear. And, and, and so it's definitely a cautious generation. And so one of the things I'm realizing is, um, I, I, I think that's playing into faith too, right? It's it's it, less, it's unless less of just being like, yeah, that works. Let's go do this. Uh, and, and some of this I'm processing with you out loud. I don't know that I've put a whole bunch of research yeah, or thought into it. I'm just, yeah, I'm just going with what I feel and seeing there's just an uncertainty. But what I think is ca- drawing them into the church, and by the church, I don't necessarily mean an institution. I'm talking about mm. community and and being like— is there's a steadiness to God's spirit, there's a steadiness to God's faithfulness, there's a steadiness to the presence of God that almost kind of counteracts this uncertainty that's going on in environment. And you're seeing a lot, you and I've talked about this before, you're seeing a lot of movement towards a pentecostal or charismatic mm-hmm. swing in some ways. I think a lot of that's cuz it's going wow, this like pointing people to this the, to the glory of God, to the bigness of God, to the sovereignty of God. That feels very secure. It feels very real. Um, I don't know. I'm curious if that's a piece of it, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I want to get to that too, the whole yeah. change in the church landscape. So those are some things you're seeing them struggling with. How is leadership itself changing? I thought I'd want to talk to the leadership guru about that. What's, what's changing?
2: <laughs> the, the leadership guru uh-huh, about uh-huh.
1: that. I, you know, here's the one thing I know doesn't change, what we already talked about, is that uh, leadership matters because people matter. Uh, until you can em- em- embrace the fact that when you, as a believer, when you're standing eyeball to eyeball with another person, you are eyeball to eyeball with someone made in the image of God. Uh, I heard Miles McPherson, when he talks about the third option, he says that the reason people allow them, is even believers, have allowed themselves to be a racist, to be a uh, fill-in-the-blank, is because they've allowed someone, somehow they've demoted them below their neighbor. They've mm-hmm. taken them below that understanding that, oh— they've almost discounted them being truly their neighbor. And now I can treat them however I want. Now I can do because now they're outside of the scope of what God told me I've got to love, right? Well, that's a big deal. Like it's a big deal that as leaders we have to recognize that that's not true. Like there's nobody I come eyeball to eyeball with that doesn't have inherent value, that doesn't matter, that's not just a number. And I think that that's not changing in leadership. That is is leadership is recognized. Like you said, you've got to – this is for people. Uh, we tell our team at Catalyst when we do events, people are not an interruption to our day. They are why we do what we do. Mm-hmm. And I think what's hard is if you're in ministry any you know, length like of time, you'll you'll go a Sunday, a full Sunday, and probably not talk to maybe two to three people. Like yeah. truly talk to because you're doing ministry, but you missed ministry because you were doing ministry. Like your, your to-do list is overriding the people that you exit your to-do list exist for. And so there's just an important focus on leadership. I I think the other thing is going into like, man, there's not a great, there's no, not a lot of great examples of great leadership in our current society when it comes to, I mean, it's hard. And so when when you stand in front of people and try to cast vision for why leadership matters, half of the next generation doesn't even want to be a leader. Half of that I'm making up that number, but like, they don't even know if the, I did a, a social media you know, question one day. I said, how many of you, when I say the word leader, think of someone else and like 65 percent thought of somebody else. They didn't think of themselves. Well, let's go back hmm. to the fact that John Maxwell and many others have said leadership is influence. OK, so really all leadership is, is stewarding your influence. So if you've got two people, that's your leadership journey. I got to take care of those two. That is. My influence, everybody has influence with somebody, Carrie. So what does it look like to steward that? Our job is to make sure we give them tools to even steward just for the two or the 20 or the 2000. Um, so again, I don't you kind of feel like leadership is leadership? There's mm. just new there's just new uh, cultural norms, there's new uh, political situations, there's new church, you know, models and expectations. But at the end of the day, leadership is going, how do I steward the influence I have right now in a way that brings glory and honor to God? And again, I, I'm very aware we're talking in a faith-based you know, conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're a business leader, you know, that's still the case. I, I've heard of a series that Louis Giglio has been doing around passion and purpose. And his thing is from first um Colossians three, seventeen, that mm-hmm. simply says basically our purpose. Is to know God and to make him known. So if you're a CEO of a great business, that's still your purpose. And it's the same as you and I in the ministry, in churches, is to know God and to make him known to the people. So that's really what we're trying to do even at Catalyst is how do we – I've always said I want two things to happen at our events. I want leaders to go away with something to make them better on Monday. In other words, how do we train them or equip them to help make him known Right. But on top of that, we want them to meet with their Heavenly Father because, you know, you're out serving all the time. When's the last time you sat in a place where you weren't in charge or you didn't have a responsibility or, you know, n- name the situation where you just sat and met with your Heavenly Father? That, that doesn't happen yeah. a lot, for a lot of leaders. It just doesn't. And so um, and that's the no God part. So, you know, that was a lot of circling, but it's just a few things that are on my mind when it comes to. Leadership, but I I, at the end of the day There is not a cultural change There is not an environmental change. There's not a political landscape change that changes the simple fact that leadership is about leading people and And when we get away from that and you know, Simon Sinek always wrote about how in the 80s We kind of got away from that for a little bit as a as a world going people are a number Shareholders matter people don't matter. They're a number. They're an asset you know, we, mm-hmm. and he, he used to say that we started feeling for numbers and thinking about people. And his whole thing was that, that is not okay. Hmm. That is not okay. We have to think about numbers and feel for people. Um, I, that, that, you, that, that right there's the soapbox that I will climb up on every single time.
0: Tell me uh, a little bit about what you said, because I saw myself in it some Sundays. I'm sure you've had a moment or two there where, you can end up doing a whole Sunday of ministry or a key day of ministry and only talk to like two or three people. That that's yeah. not that hard to have happen, um, right? Particularly if you lead a larger church or organization. Why do you think that happens? Why do you think that's an occupational hazard?
1: I think some of this depends on the size of the church. For one, mm. yeah, if you have fifty people,
0: you're going to talk to people. You're going to talk to everybody. I get it. I've
1: led at <laughs> that level. I know. You're, right. There's no escape. There's no green room. But when you get into the four five hundred, a thousand people churches, when you start hiring people, you're not just hiring a quote unquote pastor, you're hiring a specialist in a, in a space. So I might, you know, when I was at, at North Point or Brownsbridge, I got to hire six people on my service programming team. Well, I had a lighting specialist and I had an audio special, you know, like these yeah. specific jobs. And if we're not careful, we'll quickly remove the DNA of pastor and plug in the DNA of expert. And what I, I, I remember when Julie Arnold hired me, I told her, I said, Julie, and Julie was one of the six people that started North Point. She was in charge of, she created service yeah. programming for all of us, and I remember telling her, I was like, Julie, I, I love to do that job, but I just need to clarify something. I'm a pastor first, and then I'll be a service programming director. Are you okay with that? You know? And she was like, of course I'm okay with that. You know, But the truth is, Carrie, there's, not, there's a lot of churches that might not be. because they're going no but your job is to produce the events okay but i want to do it from an understanding that i'm equally responsible to love on this congregation that i'm equally responsible to care for them that i'm equally responsible to pastor the seven people god's entrusted to me on a team now granted i am i have a pastoral call in my life i've I've felt that my whole life and and in college i felt very clear and i went to seminary for it and those kind of things that's not the case all across the board and i get that I just don't want to lose from the church what it is the church is called to do because we're so excellent at our programs. You could be so excellent, you know. Uh, you've heard me talk about this, and I, I learned it, um, you know, in our world years ago. But a good product with a bad process is a counterfeit win. Hmm. Okay, so we might have the best produced service on Sunday, but if the process of getting there is not so, like serving people, it's not loving people, and your team can't be in the room together on Monday that's counterfeit. That is not a win, you know? So, um, I, that's where, where, where I believe is we have to be careful as we grow. Yes. We need to hire specialists in certain areas. Even the specialists need vision of why it is they do what they do and that they do what they do for the people that they're serving. And so, um, I, I think it's an easy, uh, it's an easy mission drift. It's pretty easy for that to happen.
0: How do you manage that tension? because it's pretty clear to me that you're going to uh if you have to err in one direction you would err on the side of love you would err on the side of people yeah, but you how think so? you, okay, just a little bit. <laughs> just a little bit, just a little bit, Tyler. I, I picked that up. I'm pretty yeah. sensitive, you know, to that stuff. Anyway, no, but my question is, because a lot of people would say you're either good at one or the other. You either do people really well or you really do task well. And I think, you know, you see that polarity in the church and sometimes you see it in business as well, where yeah, we're really not very good at what we do, but we sure love a lot of people or mm-hmm. we are awesome. Like we just, that was the best production or the best thing ever, yeah. but everybody hates each other. So yeah. how do you, or, or everyone goes home miserable. We don't right. hate each other, but we right. go home miserable because it just about killed us to get there. Yeah. yeah. And how do you navigate that tension in a way, like, is it possible to produce excellence and also...
1: Love people? One hundred percent. Like that's the point. We gotta find it's that it's that thin space, that thin line of 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 excellent world class and yet, loving. Um, and one of my honestly, one of the greatest compliments I've been paid in probably the last three or four years. Uh, our heartbeat has always been to be world class in what we do. Like the faith-based community isn't always known as world class in what we do. I don't know if you know <laughs> that or not, Carrie, but really? okay, I'm going to break talking. that news to all the listeners. Uh, I wouldn't say the faith-based community gets this, you know, five stars on everything we do. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just, you know what I mean? Yeah. And Catalyst I mean. has always been passionate about that. Is we we want to be. Great, not just great, but like world class in what we do. And uh, two years ago, I think it was Dan Pink, who's a New York Times bestseller. I don't know his faith journey. Um, I don't know where he stands, you know, at, at, with Jesus or anything like that. And and uh, but he speaks all over the world. I mean, that's what he does for a living. And he he was so happy when we had our speaker call, and he was just super engaged. And then he gets to this, gets on site, and he kept saying, "I just love being here. I've been here a few times. I love Catalyst." And Chrissy, our VP of events, she drove him in the golf cart and she just, after he had talked and she said, "Uh, Dan, how's it going? Like, have you had, he didn't know she was the VP and, you know, these kind of things. He goes, you know, uh, I do it. This is what I do for a living. And he said, in a lot of places I go have great organization and no vibe. That was the word he used, Mm -hmm. no vibe. Then I go to some places that have great vibe. They feel fantastic, but they're so unorganized. It's ridiculous. He said, Catalyst is one of, and he paused, he goes, no, it's the best event I attend because it does both incredibly well. Wow. That, to me, might be one of the greatest compliments I've ever been paid because yes. that is – is it's the it's the thin line we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. There's a heart there. There's the passion there. There's the spirit there. We didn't run from that. We're not hiding that because we – but we also want it to be created in a world class space, in a world class environment, in a world class experience. So I don't think it has to be one or the other. The trick is, though, Carrie, is if you're talking about just Tyler, mm-hmm. you know, you look at Right Path uh, personality assessments, uh, eight out of the 16 profiles are result oriented profiles, four are in the middle, and then four are relationship. Now, the percentages still break out pretty 50 50 ish. But my point is like, Results oriented people are desperately needed in the Christian space. Are you kidding me? Like, yeah. and I am so passionate about making sure that people around me help turn my talk into action. But what I've learned too is for years, I felt inadequate culturally because I'm not a detailed person, mm-hmm. I'm not a results oriented person. And when people are, they see people who, like me, who are unstructured, who uh, don't have a lot of internal drive to achieve just because we want to achieve like I don't have that in me what I do have is a drive to help others achieve like that's where I get fired up and I come to life but what I realized over the years was man I I feel inadequate because I'm not detailed because our culture loves executors people that get it done you know like people that y'all take the bull by the horns I do that when I need to I can do it but it's not my natural place. It's not what I love. So what does it look like to find balance? And that's why for me, like, you know, I know we'll get to the book at some point. I don't mean to keep bringing it back. It's that's why the most life giving leaders I know have learned their truest self. Who am Mm. I? Who has God uniquely made me to be? That's the person I want to live out day to day, because I bet. If we believe that God is as good as he is, if He, if we believe Psalm 139, that he knit me together in my mother's womb while looking at the breadth of my life, I would bet if I choose to line up with the calling and the wiring you put in me, I bet it's going to be better than if I don't. Yeah. You know what I mean?
0: I do. No, and I appreciate you sharing that story about Dan Pink. He's been a guest on this podcast, and my impression of him, not only in reading his books, but... Also, even in the level of engagement during the interview, like that guy yep. takes his trade and his craft oh. so seriously. He's like, incredible. Yeah, yeah. And and to give you that. So now I gotta ask you as a relational person, like yeah. Catalyst does do a killer job. In terms of production, details. I mean, you, you don't get world-class speakers like Dan Pink by saying, Oh, sorry, we thought you were on <laughs> Thursday and we didn't know it was right. Friday. Like they don't come back if right. if that's the level of organization you've got. So if you're not really a detail person, how have you led through that? How have you led the people who maybe are on the other side of the personality perspective or personality profile? who can, who can drive those details. How do you get along with them? Because I, I totally agree with you. The church, and frankly, any any endeavor needs both.
1: Yes, it has to. Um, I would say hire, but I think there's so many people that this has to be a recruiting thing for volunteers too, because you know yeah, some yeah. of the people we're going to talk to, they're in a church of 50 or they're in a business of 10 or whatever that yeah. is. Uh, I had to... perfect example. I mentioned Chrissy a minute ago. She was our VP of this. Well, she came uh, the year I took over our director of operations who had been there for eight years. She worked with Brad, right-hand person for Brad. And um, her and I, you know, I just remember remember telling her, I was like, hey, I I love you. Here's here's the culture that I believe in that I'm going to try to fight for and create. I want you to pray about that. But the biggest thing is I want you to pray about the fact that I'll never be Brad, good Mm -hmm. and bad. Like, I'm just a different leader. And you know, she, she felt like it was time to move on to something else. Well, I knew, Carrie, that in, in the event business specifically, there are two positions on the Catalyst team or any event team that are going to dictate the DNA and the culture all the way down to the very last attendee. Hmm. And that's me, and that's my director of operations. Uh, so if the two of us live and have a DNA of stress, guess who's going to feel it? Everybody. If we have a DNA and a feeling of anxiety or uh, fast pace or, you know, like it, it, whatever those DNA things are, you're going to feel that all the way down to the last attendee. I used to tell my, my volunteers at Brownsbridge how you respond uh, on a Sunday morning is going to dictate the experience for the attendees of our church. And so if if your camera goes off and you get crazy— Everybody's going to feel that like it just matters how you carry yourself. And so um, we we had Catalyst Atlanta coming up and Chrissy came and interviewed and she was five months pregnant. Well, Catalyst Atlanta was coming up in three months and the timing <laughs> wasn't timing working there, so good. Uh, Tyler? And I I didn't have a director of operations. But here's what I knew. I had 10 candidates and she was the right one because she carried the DNA all the way down, like she, she stays calm. I've never met an operations director that stays as calm as Chrissy does. Wow. Well, I knew that's the D that's the culture I wanted to create so that everybody, and, and we hear this from people all the time. Like they'll see us at an event. They're like, you seem so calm. Well, we are, uh, hmm. you know, Rourke Denver, uh, the, uh, Navy, um, oh shoot. Um, Navy SEAL. He, he always said he heard from a commander calm is contagious. Well, it is. And I knew it was really critical for me. That her and I would dictate the tone for the entire conference by our DNA, our natural wiring, not learned behavior, but who we are at the core. Now, the great thing is if you read her right path, she's more of in the network. So she's almost middle range, but she's driven and she's got Mm -hmm. this desire to make sure details are done. But it is not the, it's not her king. She doesn't like details are critical. Process is critical, but it doesn't drive everything about her. Does that make sense? Yeah, and it so does. I waited on her. Like literally, she said she got in the car, she drove home crying, called her husband, and goes, That's my job. But there's no way they're gonna hire me.
2: <laughs> sure enough,
1: I called her and I said, Hey, I want you to have this job. I know you won't be here for four months or five months. So we'll figure it out. But you're the one we want in this job. And Carrie, I have not regretted that decision one ounce. And so I say that to say the key is going, what is What's the ultimate cultural goal? What's the ultimate way we want to perceive be perceived? What is our reputation? What do we want it to be? Now, I've got to recruit, volunteer, help or bring in, you know, hire the right types of team. And if that's going back to self-awareness and emotional intelligence.
0: I think there's a really good principle in it, Tyler, that you kind of highlighted highlighted in when you said, you know, the two critical positions are you and the director of operations. So I think instinctively people can make the translation into their organization. And I think about when our church under, when I was the senior leader was at its best, it was always because I had a director of operations that there was just, it didn't matter what the issue was, we'd figure it out, you know? And, and there was a symmetry. It's almost like in a family dynamic, mom and dad are going to be okay. If mom and dad are okay, if the marriage is strong, kids are going to be fine. If the marriage is wobbly or there's a lot of fighting, everybody pays a price. Is that what you're talking about? Like that kind of dynamic?
1: When it's different at different positions, different businesses. Like if you're a financial institution, let me tell you what you better have. (laughs) (laughs) A really good CFO, you know, a really good financial analyst. Like it's just Mm. critical for what you're doing. But what I know is that if we don't create a great experience, we have no business. We have no organization. So it depends. Like, what I'm not saying is, and I'm not discounting the other, you know, 15 people. No, no, but I'm I'm
0: almost thinking like a second in charge, right? Like that, 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 whoever your second in charge happens to be in your structure, the importance of that chemistry and confidence and the, the, even the calm and trust that radiates from the top and the trust, that does percolate through the entire organization, whether that's 10 people or a thousand people. That's right.
1: It's a big deal. And it's a big deal that I know that I don't have to worry what's being said, done, or decided upon when I'm not in the room. That's so important to that.
0: That's good. Okay. Emotional journey of leadership. And then I want to get into your book before we wrap up today. Uh, But leadership's an emotional journey and you've been in leadership for a while, but now you're in the top seat. What has that been like over the last five and a half years for you?
1: Man, it's, uh, you know, our theme this year has been fully alive, and it's the idea that we want to create whole, healthy leaders, healthy physically, relationally, spiritually, and emotionally. Um, I went to, I've been open about this, but I went to on-site in Nashville back in uh, about a year ago, specifically around what I grew up with, financial insecurity, and how emotionally connected I was to it, and and how much it, you know, when you're a freshman in college and, and you go through bankruptcy and they come take your car from the parking lot, well, that that does something to you emotionally. Was and that what your I, story? Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. And so what, one of the things that I learned, Carrie, is that even at OnSite, is when it comes to emotion, the goal is not to numb or excuse away emotion. It's to feel. And what and, is
0: OnSite, just so people know? So
1: OnSite is a, it's a therapeutic retreat center. It's right That's outside right. of Nashville. One of my best friends, Miles Adcox, runs it. And um, basically, it's about a week-long therapeutic retreat. And they they say, and you have small group you know, therapist and this kind of thing, they say it's a about a year's worth of therapy in a, in a week. And, uh, and again, one of the great things is, is a lot of people that go really need a reset. They need a 2.0. Like it's, it's time yeah. to start over. And I went not for, and there's a big group of people that go for a 1.1, a 1.2. I just want to get better. You know, I want to, right. but I kept tripping over the emotion of financial insecurity. Like anytime it would come up in our own family, Carrie would just look at me like, here he comes again. You know, he's going to get defensive. Right. It was because a trigger for deep you, so to and speak. It's deep. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, but what I learned, even as we talk about emotion, is emotion's not a bad thing. It's actually helping us understand it's an indicator of something deeper. It's an indicator, there's something stirring in me that's hurting or positive, or you know, whatever those are. But what we find in our life is we want to medicate those things away. We want to numb those things away um, if they're painful. And so they talk about how you'll jump over the pain box just to try to get solutions. But until you go into the pain box, until you go in and just, wow, this hurts. Okay, but why? What's going on? And leadership, I mean, if you do it for any length of time, any, you're going to have some emotional reactions. You're going to have some emotional things. Uh, When you, I, I literally, in the last two days, Carrie, I've talked to two specific leaders who talk wounds that they're carrying from leaders, board members, whatever, who literally set out to take them out. Wow. To remove them from an organization, to take them out of the spot because they didn't like what they were choosing to lead how they were leading. And if you're in leadership any length of time, you're going to deal with pain like that. You're going to deal with the fact of betrayal. You're going to deal with the fact of, uh, but you're also going to deal with the wins. When you look at that person, that young leader that you you brought on as a risk and then you invested in them. And all of a sudden they just got this amazing opportunity. Well, you know, what's great about an amazing opportunity and what stinks about it. It's the double-edged sword of leadership. You raise them up so that they can go kill it, but you raise them up and they leave. And now you got to do it again. And that stinks, man. That hurts. It's very painful. So until you can start recognizing that, I I mean, I don't know about you. I don't want to work for a leader who doesn't have emotion who's not connected to things, who's not real in that. Um, the trick is how real can we be? How authentic can we be without crossing the line to be, um, I'm just being authentic to be authentic. You know, I, I want you to know that I'm bleeding like you do. Okay, great. Be yourself, be real. But uh, man, I, I tell you, this is by far been the most emotional experience in the last year that I probably, probably ever had. And, and that's saying a lot because I'm a pretty emotional guy. Yeah. Uh, mainly because I'm so results driven. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey, I got to ask you and, and, uh, I don't ask every guest this, but you had him speak at the last catalyst in Atlanta, yeah. uh, your Enneagram number,
1: Ian Morgan. Oh, Camindino. I'm a seven.
0: You're a seven. Okay. Yeah. So you're kind yeah. of free spirit
1: fun. You know, it's funny though. I'm also a really strong too. And so uh, I've got that helper, big time helper in me. Uh, but I, I remember Bob golf said one time before I'd taken, it, he said, if you're not a seven, the test is wrong. um, that what's interesting about it though, because I think a lot of people think sevens are just, they are a lot of true. They're like Bob Goff, right? Like Donald Miller says, Bob is the quintessential seven. seven. It's jump first and we'll figure it out later. I'm not wired that way. That's what's unique about me. I am all about fun. That is probably the highest priority in my life. Let's, if it's not fun, I don't want to be a part, Hmm. which obviously has its own emotional connection to it. But, um, (laughs) For me, I'm less of a risk taker than a normal seven. Um, I'm more of a experience based. Okay, let's just look at this a little bit. You know, I want as long as long as I feel comfortable, it's going to be fun. But if I feel like it's too risky or it's too this, I'm a little less open to the funness of it.
0: Okay, no, I'm just we talked a lot about personality types, so I just had to ask, what are you? Well, uh, I'm actually an eight with a seven wing. Is your wing six or eight? Do you know? I don't know. Yeah. No, I'm an eight. So I'm a challenger. Yeah. Uh, but, but on my good days, I'm I'm fun. (laughs) I'm not an eight. Yeah. My, my Enneagram reads like a report card you want to hide from your parents. But, uh, (laughs) actually I was at Bob Goff's birthday party last week and ran into Ian Cron. So it was, it was a lot of fun to actually catch up with him in a few weeks. Yeah. Yeah. He's fantastic. So, um, you had a brand new book, well, brand yeah. new, but came out within our books, came out with a, within weeks of each other, The Life-Giving Leader. Tell me why you wrote it. I'd love to, for you, because, I mean, I hear your heartbeat. I see it in the book that yeah. you want leadership to be life-giving, but tell us the the reason behind the book.
1: Yeah. You know, um, I made a 420 on the SAT in English, Carrie. So it okay. wasn't like writing a book was going to be... Uh, it didn't seem to be in the career path. And right. um, I think that was one of the sweetest things for me when I got this op- opportunity to do this with Waterbrook. Um, and I love that we get to do this together. I couldn't believe it. Honestly, I still can't believe it. Um, but I always knew that it, if I got a, if I ever got to write a book, it was not going to be because I wrote this eloquent proposal. It was going to be because I lived something that people believed. If I put that in, 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 in paper on paper, that it, it would help other people. And, Hmm. The 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 couple hurdles for me that I had to get over was one, um my team really pushed me, going, You've got to write this because you've been teaching this stuff and it works and we believe in it and we've seen you live it out and we believe that matters. You know, I went home to my wife one day, I was like, Hey, um, I think I'm supposed to write a book. And she goes, wow. Yeah, I know. When are you gonna do it?
0: <laughs> like,
1: Where where's That's that good. been? <laughs> I get, get a good. little insight for you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but the third one was what I just mentioned, man. You could have told me fifth, when I was fifteen, I'd be an astronaut. I've been like, yeah, maybe, but write a leadership book. And and I just I never wanted anyone. This is it's probably not the right motivation, but I never wanted anybody to think I came to Catalyst to write a book. And so it mm-hmm. actually took me a good bit longer than it probably could have. So to um, you,
0: it wasn't an, inevit- an an inevitable
1: part of the job description. No, not at all. And and I live in that world, so you know I don't mm-hmm. love all parts of it. yeah. And pretty
0: much everybody you ever have speak, Brad wrote some books. So that's right. It would almost seem like an inevitability that it was part of the job description. Right. But you yeah. didn't feel that way.
1: No. And I felt like if I did, it had to be something that meant something to me and it was helpful. Yeah. I just, it, I don't want to add to the clutter. I want it to be helpful. Um, and so uh, I had a good friend who's a ghostwriter. He helped me just kind of think through my life and because he really believes that everybody has a book in them, but it, it needs help kind of figuring out what is that point. The original title was called uh, the color of your leadership painting who you are into how you lead and it really is back to that truest self thing like it's it's the why it's the coaching in me it's that right path enneagram that kind of thing that ended up being a chapter and just really fell in love we always say at catalyst we want life and grace to flow from our stage not be required for our stage so in other words mm-hmm. there's a proper flow of life and grace when it comes to that kind of thing. In other words, let's be so good at what we do and let's make sure that everything we're doing is pouring and loving on the people in the room, not taking from them. Like, it wow. doesn't mean we can't push. It doesn't mean we can't challenge. Let's do it in a loving, grace-filled way. And I realize that that's, that's really great leadership too, right? That yeah. life is yeah. flowing that direction. Now, if I stink at leadership, the flow of life goes the wrong direction. It's being required for me. I'm I'm taking from people. I'm not taking their physical life. It could eventually, right? Because of how, how much I take from them emotionally and all these other things. They they just leave because they're like, you just you've taken too much from me. Yeah. What's beautiful about that flow is there are gonna be days, Carrie, that you and I need grace and life to flow to us. The problem is, is when it's flowing that way the whole time and then it's really hard to ask for that extra amount of grace when um the the direction's been wrong so that really just kind of became the metaphor throughout the book and the idea is that what i've watched is the leaders i know who can float let life flow from them to other people they're not struggling with who they are internally they're not they're not sitting in this position going i just i'm not comfortable in my own skin i'm not like there's a confidence in who god's called them to be and man They're attractive. Like, I want to be around those kind of leaders. I think one of the things I've always loved watching you and being your friend over the last few years is I just, I've never felt the sense of you trying to figure out who Carrie Newhoff is. Like, Hmm. you, and and it might be, I mean, we struggle with that. You know what?
0: That was me in my 30s, to be honest with you. In my 20s, I thought I had it all figured out. In my 30s, I'm like, uh oh, uh oh, uh oh. (laughs) And, And then, and then in my 40s and now into my 50s, uh there is there is a piece that wasn't there before yep and and it's not it's not a sense of having arrived i'm i'm growing every day you That's know right. this morning on the day we were recording this interview i'm like my soul needs food so i downloaded the kindle for eugene peterson's the pastor i'm like i need to go in this direction right now right i, right. Need, I need me some eugene peterson so yes. i got some but you know uh, and so I'm still learning and still growing, but yeah, I know what you mean. And you can, you can feel it. I mean, you get around a lot of leaders like I do. You can feel it when a leader's neediness just kind of bleeds out.
1: What? And it's not life giving to the people around them and oh it's not life giving to them either. No. And like, uh, I liken it to, um, if you ever play a Taylor guitar, acoustic, a Taylor acoustic guitar, yeah. they, they have a patent on the neck of the guitar because it sounds a certain way. Okay. But what I'll do is when I'll preach, sometimes I'll bring a volunteer up who's never touched a guitar in their lives and I'll have them play a guitar, like an acoustic guitar. I'll just play whatever you want. And it's just the tension in the room because it's so bad and the tension in that person. And my point is, it's because you're this thing doesn't sound, it's not making the sound it was designed to make because you're not playing it the way it was designed to be played. How many leaders and people do we know in our lives who are trying to play or make a sound that's not theirs to make? They're trying to make the sounds of all the people around them. And yet God's going, no, 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 no. I have a patent on the way I designed you. I have a, a, there's a beauty in the way I created you. Let me help you be that person, you know?
0: Yeah, and that shines through the whole book. And you you talk about leaders becoming self-aware, self-accepting, and Mm self-confident. None of which I think are defaults in this (laughs) sinful world that, that we're all born into. What has that journey been like for you? How have you gotten to the point? Because you already started. We started this interview. You're talking about emotional intelligence. Yeah. yeah. uh, You know, self-aware, self-accepting and self-confident, which is not, you make the point, it's not ego. It's not hubris. It's not, there's a humility in that. And yet that is, that is a very difficult journey for a lot of people to make.
1: I think self-accepting is the hardest one. That's Uh, what I think. I think most leaders stop there. Because I've got to embrace the fact that I'm not structured. Who wants to do that in this day and age? But if you, even if you look at right path, I know I keep going back to that, but I've studied it for years. Yeah. The uh, the structured side of right path is precise, organized, and achieving. Well, the world loves that. Are you kidding me? Like, they love people like that. And so if I look at this and I don't see the attributes on the left side, I just go, wow, I'm really low and precise and organized, like kind of institutionally low on those things, right? <laughs> But what I love about it is there's actually attributes on the other side, and it shows that I'm really high in something else. Well, you know what the other side is, even though it says unstructured, which is what it is. It's generalist, improviser, and instinct. Would you know what makes me a what made me a great producer of events? No. It's not precise and organized. It's improviser and instinct. There's nothing, Carrie, that rattles me. I come alive when things start. You know, when, when a projector and goes down. And you're like, down, oh, we'll
0: figure I, this out.
1: A hundred percent. Like it just, that's my best. I am at hmm. my best in those moments. But there's a culture that says that's not okay. Like that's not uh, Who highlights that? So for me to actually accept that as something that God put, put in me as a unique gift, that's hard to do. That's hard yeah. to do. That's hard to grab a hold of. And, and vice versa. Uh, the eight profiles that are results oriented, they're tired of hearing that they're not good with people. Right. Well, yeah. nobody's saying that, and and I actually I would I would um, push back on you a little bit when you said you know self-awareness, self awareness, uh, self confidence, and self um, uh, accepting are are not natural. I think a lot of a lot of our culture is very self aware. Right. It's but emotional intelligence. It's self awareness leads to self regulation. So it's <sighs> not just the fact that I go. Uh, most people know if they talk in a way that comes off as a jerk. Okay. The trick is. How do we stop ourselves before it? I have a lot of friends. I have coach leaders on my teams who are incredibly self-aware, incredibly self-aware. I know I'm and a they, jerk, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. and And they'll catch, they'll, they'll say something inappropriate. They'll catch themselves and apologize. That's amazing. Way to go. I, you know, I applaud your effort, but you still hurt their feelings, <sighs> but you still went in a place that you're going to have to pull out of. You're going to have to recover from. The goal is not to just be aware that I could potentially talk like a jerk. The goal is changing behavior. The goal is self-regulation so that no longer. So you see what I mean? Like I think yeah. we do have a pretty because we have all this opportunity, an Enneagram. We have all these things right in front of us. And people fall in love with that stuff. People love reading about themselves. So there <laughs> is a there is a culture that loves the self-awareness piece of this. But there is not a culture that loves to choose going towards self-regulation, going to accepting who I uniquely am. Like, that's hard. That's hard work. Uh, And that's admitting, maybe I'm not great at everything.
0: So how do you self-regulate your lack of structure?
1: (laughs) Because I mean, obviously, Uh, and I say
0: that because you pull off numerous events that require like a a A 9.9 out of 10 level of organization. Like you just do it. So how do you self-regulate?
1: You got to have great people. You got to have great people around you. Um, It is unique. And I know myself well enough. Obviously, this is something I've... Fran Lamatina has been my coach for years. And like, I just love... I eat this stuff for lunch. Like I love this stuff from a coaching perspective. And some of that comes from a place where, um, you know, I talk about this in the book where I was told that if I wasn't successful, it's probably my personality. Well, that that's a little painful, right? Yeah. Uh, but what I've learned, Carrie, is, and that was someone going, "We're wired differently." I just have a hard time seeing you as a great leader, and yet the very things that they struggle with are the things that have made me the kind of leader that people want to be around. Yeah. But that's not uncommon, right? That's one of those things. So for me, self regulation is an incredibly like I don't have to go look at an assessment. I've studied it enough. I know my, my wirings. I know where I'm going to like, and, and what I don't do is kid myself that learned behavior is going to fix it. Now Mm -hmm. I'm going to get better as a leader, but guess what happens when stress hits? Learned behavior goes out the window. It just does. You you default to whatever your basic is. And so what my team knows is when, when Tyler is in Excel documents, Catalyst is losing, (laughs) but that's okay. That's okay. Like, and I've learned now I can't, I cannot eliminate Excel and budgets from my life. I can't. Yeah. Yeah. I've got to, I got to get my taxes over to my accountant right now. I don't want to do that. It is the last thing I'd I'd rather literally go cut the grass and there's no grass that needs to be cut right now, but (laughs) that's just not what I want to do. But I know I got to do it. So what I don't want people to hear is self-assessments and self-awareness allow you, because I watch people wave that thing like a sword that says, oh, by the way, um, I'm just not good at that, so I won't do it. No, 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 no. This is not a crutch to get out of work. We got work to do. What I know is I got to get a little bit better. And, and again, this could be a long conversation, but I, I take it a little different than just the strength finder's. Conversation, which is just yeah. do what you're best at. Here's what I believe uh, what I'm best at is relationships. If I go to event weeks and I focus a little bit on trying to get better at communication or better at time management or better at, at, at um, organizational detail that's sent to the right people, I am not going to forget how to do what I'm naturally wired at. I'm not going to mm-hmm. forget to love people well. I'm not going to forget how to do these things. So for me, there's this interesting balance because a lot of people would say just do what you're best at. I don't, I agree with that. Yeah, ninety percent of the time. But my team really no- needs to know that I'm giving it all I got to make sure that they are cared for and loved on. I cannot just walk around the crutch going, "Guys, I'm not organized. I'm not structured." Right. Oh well.
0: And you gotta you gotta protect your organization. I think, like Andy has said before, you you lead from your strengths, but you hire around your weaknesses. That's and exactly
1: because Catalyst has got to have a good event at the end of the That's day. Right. And the majority of my executive team and our our, our leadership team are process results oriented people. Well,
0: I know we all want to be around more life giving leaders, Tyler. So tell us where we can get the book and where we can learn more about Catalyst and, and even find out more about you.
1: Well, not to throw Barnes and Noble under the bus, but don't go into the bookstore and find it there because they keep hiding it under like Eastern religions and philosophy. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, we hear what happened here, Tyler, and you know, that's why we're no, doing no. this intervention. You- yeah. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. We'll get you back into what do they call it now? Christian, Christian living. living. That's where my book You should be is. near my we book. We should be together. We're in we the same arm publisher. Arm. Yeah, we yep. should be. You, me, and Tim Tebow.
1: You can go to TylerReagan.com. Uh, there's, you know, website keeps you posted on where I'm speaking and and some of the stuff we're doing. Obviously, to me, our heartbeats Catalyst Leader. It's investing in the emerging generation yeah. of leaders. So catalystleader.com gives you clues. This year's our 20 year anniversary of Catalyst. So uh, we're trying to just go, hey, let's family, let's gather together in October and just celebrate what God's done, but really cast, throw an anchor into the next 10 to 20 years of raising a new generation. So TylerReagan.com and Tyler Reagan on, on social, but you know, you can get the book wherever, wherever books are sold. We'll link to everything
0: in the show notes. Tyler, it's been a joy. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Carrie. Well, if you enjoyed that conversation, which I'm sure you did, you may want more. You may want something that we talked about in the link. So head on over to the show notes. You'll find everything at com slash episode 257. And we also have transcripts there. So if you're a reader, you want to go back and you want to search something out, get a quote, whatever, you can do that with the transcripts absolutely for free. Hey, if you haven't yet subscribed, please subscribe to the podcast and share this with friends if you found it helpful. Because next week, uh, we're going to go somewhere that we really, I don't think we've gone there before. But Rusty George is back on the podcast. Uh, Rusty leads Real Life Church in Valencia, California, a church of over 5,000 attenders on the weekend And they had a a really tough situation a few months ago where one of his campus pastors and a longtime friend took his own life. And suicide is on the rise in America. It's something that so many leaders are dealing with. And again, if you're in the corporate space or you're in the church space, it's just hard no matter how you look at it. So Rusty and I drilled down on what that was like for him, how to handle it, what happens when someone on your team is suicidal or takes their life, how do you process that as a leader? So much more. Here is an excerpt from next week's conversation.
2: We all have those moments. You may think that yours is at a different level, that no one knows what you feel like. And the answer is, there is somebody else that knows. And the the quicker you get that secret out into the open and talk to somebody about it, the, the easier it will be to find healing. What is it James tells us? Confess your sins to each other so that you might be healed. And this might not even be in sin state yet, but it is our, it's our secrets that make us sick. So the quicker we can get those out and talk to somebody about these things, the quicker you realize you're not alone. And I would tell you, I mean, I, in, in your book, you, you describe it so well through burnout, but for those of us that maybe we haven't even reached that level, if you have anything in your past, like a history of abuse where you've been abused, you're more susceptible to this. If you have a history of mental health issues, you're more susceptible to this. If you have a history of addiction to alcohol, to pornography, you're more susceptible to this. And all you're waiting for is an accelerant. And then quickly you move into this thing of, no one else knows how I feel.
0: So that's next week on the podcast. Also coming up, we've got Andrew Stanley, the comedian, Mike Hyatt, Nona Jones, Horst Schultze, Uh, Les McEwen is back. Sean Cannell from YouTube. Jeremy McDonald is going to be talking to me about church growth and Margaret Feinberg. Man, so many more. Coming up on the podcast, uh, one more reason to subscribe. And again, if you haven't subscribed to my newsletter, uh, I send emails out to over 40,000 leaders on a regular basis. You can do that at leadlikeneverbefore.com. Just give us your email and you will be on the inside circle. So we're back next week. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change and personal growth to help you lead like never before.